You turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Pew Bible, page 1,886. 1,886. Before we read, I'm going to ask that the Lord bless us. Lord, may you bless the reading and preaching of your word. May you enlighten your word by your spirit that we may see Jesus Christ and that we may know all the benefits we have in him, that we may be renewed, conformed, strengthened. And by this, Lord, be given your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our passage tonight is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to start the reading in verse 3. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the, the phrase. Life is not fair. Is that how you spell fair? Okay. Is there another way you spell fair? F-A-R-E? Is that a different kind of fair? Okay. But this is the right kind of fair, right? Life is not fair. But daddy... She got more than me. Life is not fair. But they got to stay longer. Life is not fair. You know, I'm not really actually a fan of that kind of argumentation or, or parenting style. But the lesson is still the same. Basically, what uh, this is trying to communicate is that the reality of, uh, of suffering in this world. The reality of hardship in this world, the reality of trials and difficulties that you're going to face in this world. You see, if you're told your whole life that life is supposed to be cheerful and good and never supposed to have any hardships or trials or difficulties, when you face those hardships, when you experience suffering, You become disillusioned, confused, because you were told that life is supposed to not be like this, right? 
But then when you tell people, well, life is not fair. Then when unfair things or suffering happens, they come to expect that, understand that, that that's part of life, right? So uh, Christians have understood that there is suffering in this world. But varying Christians have dealt with the reality of suffering in this world with different perspectives. And I'd like to share uh, three of those. And then uh, that I believe are not the full picture. And then we're going to look at our passage today because I believe it presents to us the proper way uh, to experience or to look at suffering in the Christian life. Okay? Uh, So some uh, Christians say that we suffer because we lack faith, right? Um, they claim that healing by faith, uh, you, if you have faith that you'll be healed, they, they deny all negative thoughts. Uh, they promise that God never causes people to suffer, always wants health and well for them. So if you are experiencing suffering, if you have a sickness in your body, if you have uh, a health issue that's not going away, or uh, if you um, aren't aren't wealthy and successful and and you've had a number of financial crises and that kind of thing, um, then it's because uh, there's not something wrong with God. There's something wrong with you. You don't have faith. It's because you don't believe. God wants to heal you. God wants to make you rich, but you don't believe him. That's why you're sick, and that's why you're not rich, okay? Uh, So that's how some Christians deal with suffering, right? Uh, The second one is uh, some some say Christians do suffer, uh, but they're supposed to do it with a smile on their face. And they... um, they quote scriptures like, rejoice, always. Again, I say, rejoice. Uh, they say, don't worry. All things work together for good. Um, yes, maybe your spouse just died or, or your child, but praise the Lord, they're in glory now. And there's this sort of um, false assumption um, that Christians aren't really meant to express sorrow or hardships or difficulty. Um, that they're always meant to be happy. Apparently these kinds of people forgot to read the Psalms. Um, but then the third, I would say, is kind of a, a reaction, a pendulum swing against that first. Um, and that is that uh, you're supposed to you know, express everything. You're supposed to let loose uh, we don't need to hold back how we feel. They, they, they quote the, the, the psalms where, where the psalmist cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? And the psalmist cries out, have you left me to, the, to be uh, alone? Have you forgotten about me? And so they say, vent all your emotions. Rail at God. Tell him how you really feel because he can take it. And so these are, are all, all what I would say are all, I extreme reactions or false ideas about suffering in the Christian life. And the biblical approach is given here by Peter. We're not to deny the pain or the grief we experience, but at the same time, we are told biblically that we can have genuine joy in the midst of hardships. And so, um, instead of these sort of three reactions, I'm going to present what I believe is the more balanced biblical position, And I think that we will uh, 
find that that's what Peter is talking about here in First Peter. Because our Savior uses suffering to refine our faith We can have joy in the midst of it. It as in referring to the suffering, okay? Because our Savior uses suffering to refine our faith, we can have joy in the midst of it, okay? We have uh, four points tonight. The first is reasons. To rejoice in suffering. Um, the second is the ultimate reason for suffering. The third point is evidence of refined faith. And the fourth point is the end result. So let's look at that first point. together. Reasons to rejoice in suffering. Reasons to rejoice in suffering. Verse 6, Peter says, after saying, praise be to God, because we've been given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've received an inheritance that cannot perish for their faith, that's being kept in heaven for us. Who, uh, through, faith, through this faith, we're shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this reality, in this uh, reality that we've been given a new birth, a living hope, that our faith shields us um, until the coming of, sal- uh, of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. So, what are the, the reasons to rejoice? Um, uh, because we have new birth. Because we have living hope. Uh, because uh, we have an inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. Because we are kept and guarded. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now... For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And this is the way that um, Peter wants us to think about suffering in the Christian life. He wants us to think about the first thing being that suffering is necessary. That's why I started the sermon off by saying, you know, well, life's hard. Get used to it. Life's not fair. Uh, The reality is that as Christians, we should be talking about the reality of suffering in the Christian life. We should be accepting of it. We should not be denying its reality, its presence, right? Um, A lot of times, uh, people, uh, people will say, what is it that you can do as a pastor to prepare your people for suffering? Well, here's the reality. If you're not preaching about 
suffering. If you're not talking about suffering in the lives of the apostles like Paul and Peter, if you're not talking about how the Christian life is a cruciform life, it's shaped by Christ's life. What did Christ do? He went through suffering. He went through hardships. If you're not expressing the great promises of Scripture that, that talk about how even though we suffer in this life, it cannot even be compared to the weight of glory that's being stored up for us. Even though we might go through hardships in this life, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. If you're not doing all of that as often as you can and making it a consistent uh, conversation or part of your preaching ministry, part of your church ministry, part of your mutual encouragement ministry, then when hardship comes, when suffering comes, that's not the time to start doing it. You're late. You see, because if people don't understand that suffering is a necessary part of Christian life, when you come to them at the hospital and they just lost their loved one, in a tragic accident. And you say, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. It's not going to go into their heart because they didn't know, they weren't taught that suffering is necessary. But this is the flip side of that, right? Suffering... is also temporary. Listen to the way Peter says this. In this reality that you've been given, a new birth, a living hope, an inheritance that cannot perish, and that you're kept until the day of Jesus Christ's return, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And when Peter says, for a little while, he's not saying this is simply a season uh, of suffering or hardships um, and that, that hopefully your, your life will then move on to greener pastures and better times. What Peter is saying is that the life that we live here on earth is the kind of life where you suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But the life that is to come, even though this suffering is temporary, the glory that is to come, that's eternal. That's forever, Right? Imagine if you looked at your life that you're going through right now in terms of, for a little while, how that would change the way you experience hardships and suffering. That this is just for a little while. That, that in terms of geometry, your life now is a dot on the ray of forever. You're going through the dot right now. The rest is to come. You're going through something for a little while, right? All right. Let's look at this next point then. The next point that we have is reason for suffering. Peter continues on. You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of 
uh, of trials. These have come, these trials have come, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, Peter says suffering is necessary. Why is it necessary? So that our faith can be refined. The sermon is called Test of Faith is True Faith. Well, what does that mean? It means that um, true faith is a faith that goes through trials and experiences and is strengthened by them, is refined by them. If you know what, uh, what refinement is, uh, Peter says, your faith is, is more precious than gold. Well, gold goes through a refinement process. When you, uh, when you mine gold, it has all kinds of dirt. It has all kinds of uh, non-gold non metals in it. And it has to be refined. So the way that you refine gold is that you heat it up, you melt it, and you take all those dirt, that dirt and that um, less precious metal away from the gold uh, in this fire so that uh, it can be just its purest form, gold, right? And Peter says, this is what happens with our faith. Now, here's the thing. Peter is not saying that God likes to torture his people so that the, he can find out who's the real Christians, right? Because listen, in verse 5, he says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So before Peter ever says that the trials and the sufferings that you experience are a refiner's fire and they purify your faith and they strengthen your faith, Peter's not saying God puts you through hard stuff so that, um, um, so that you can, uh, you know, he, he just likes to give you a hard time. No, God, Peter is saying God shields you. God watches over your faith and this is one way in which he does that through trials and hardships and sufferings your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine so the reason for these hardships is to show that true faith is tested faith tested faith is true faith the ultimate reason for suffering, though, is so that the faith of the saints will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter says. Your faith may be proved genuine, yeah, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Why is it that when Christ is revealed, this is something Peter's been talking about already, when he said, until the coming of salvation that's better, ready to be revealed... In, in, in the last time. And th this he makes it more clear. Glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When Jesus Christ is revealed, the purity of your faith is a testimony to his work, accomplished work. His work, his completed perfect work, his death and his resurrection, which is being applied to us by the work of the Holy Spirit is to the glory and praise and honor of Jesus Christ. When we go through trials and hardships and our faith is refined, our faith is strengthened, our faith is revealed to be genuine, you know what that does? It points to Jesus Christ. 
He's the one doing the work. He's the one that is keeping us. He's the one that we point to. Chapter 14 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, entitled Of Saving Faith. Uh, the first point says, The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. The reason for suffering is so that through the strengthening of our faith, uh, it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Well, what's the evidence? Uh, the evidence that our faith is being refined, the evidence uh, that our faith is being strengthened. Well, Peter continues on, and he mentions this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So the evidence uh, of a refined faith is love for Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Uh, the evidence of a refined faith is and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. So, trust in Christ. As we await the coming of our Lord Jesus, our love for him grows. As we await the coming of our Lord Jesus, our trust in him grows. As we await the coming of our Lord Jesus, finally, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Rejoicing in Christ. Love for Christ. Trust in Christ. Rejoicing in Christ. Because our Savior uses suffering to refine our faith, we can have joy in the midst of it. We can have joy in the midst of suffering. And the evidence of God, of Jesus refining our faith in the midst of trials, in the midst of sufferings and hardships, is our love for him grows, our trust in him grows, and we rejoice. And now, when I mentioned earlier that some of the ways that Christians deal with suffering is they say, hey, you're always supposed to smile, you're never supposed to be upset, rejoice always, again I say rejoice, don't worry, all things work together for good. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, um, that, that is entirely wrong. Uh, what I'm saying is that that representation does not mean that we put on a false face of happiness, that we put on a false face of everything's fine, everything's good, right? What that means is there is a deep-rooted joy in us. There is a deep-rooted trust in us, love in us. An inexpressible and glorious joy that cannot be shaken even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of sufferings and hardships. It's something that clings to us, even though outwardly it may look as if we're struggling, we're dealing with um, the sadness and the grief um, that comes with living in this life, experiencing this life. There's a joy that will not 
let go of us. There's a joy deep down in our heart that we know all things will be made right. No hardship is wasted. No suffering goes unnoticed by our Savior or unused. We know that there is a future that awaits us where we'll walk into a room filled with bottles of tears collected by our God. We will walk into a throne room where we will see the scars of our dear Savior. And we will know that whatever we experienced, whatever we went through, it was worth it. It was worth it. Chapter 14, the second paragraph of the Westminster Confession of Faith says, By this faith a Christian believeth to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself speaking therein, and acted differently upon that which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. The end result of our faith, this is this final point. That we have tonight. Peter ends uh, this portion of our passage tonight by saying, Even though you've not seen Jesus, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. So, Peter says, the goal or the end result of faith is salvation. Now, he limits this to the here and now when he says, you're receiving the goal of your faith in the here and now. It's the salvation of your souls. Because we know that in this lifetime, uh, the inner man is what is renewed. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being made new day by day. So our souls are saved. The inner person is saved. But the complete or the entire uh, picture of salvation is body and soul, as the Heidelberg Catechism says. And as Peter himself says, too. Uh, you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we go through hardships and difficulty, Right? Chapter 14 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the final paragraph, paragraph 3, says, This faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, may be often in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. What's the Westminster Confession of Faith saying there is, some people may have weaker faith, some people may have stronger faith, some people may often go through uh, trials and tribulations and difficulties, but in the end, this faith gets the victory. It grows up in the full assurance through Christ, who is the author and uh, finisher of our faith. Uh, in the end, we will receive the goal of our faith, 
the salvation of our souls and our bodies. The end result of, of our faith is our salvation. Because our Savior uses suffering to refine our faith, we can have joy in the midst of it. Um, so, um, it's not that we should uh, go around saying uh, and denying that suffering is a reality in the Christian life. Or saying that if you suffer, it's because you lack faith. You don't believe in God for health, for wealth. Um, we should not say uh, that uh, we're supposed to go around with a, a smile on our face that's uh, surface level. And that has not reached our heart or our eyes. Uh, because the Bible says we're always supposed to be happy. We're always supposed to rejoice. And, and I think, too, we should not say that uh, we should just vent everything that we go through. But we should have a measured level experience of suffering in the Christian life and a deep-rooted joy that we know what the future holds for us ultimately, even though for a little while we might experience grief uh, and all kinds of trials. Uh, because our Savior uses suffering to refine our faith, we can have joy in the midst of hardships. We can have joy in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of hardships. We can have a deep-rooted joy um, in the salvation that is being worked in us and will come to completion when Jesus Christ returns. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you, Lord, have worked in us true faith. You have tested this faith through a variety of trials and hardships. Uh, Lord, many of us have suffered grief and all kinds of trials. But we know that these have come so that our faith may be refined and proved genuine and result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though we have not seen him, we love him. Even though we do not see him now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Heavenly Father, help us to cling to these truths and to know these things. Give us that deep-rooted joy that comes from true saving faith. Strengthen our faith, Lord. Um, help us. Help us to express a faith that brings praise and glory and honor to you. Help us, Lord, to know to know the truth of Christ and his love and care for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.